Which Pac-12 team poses the biggest threat to Utah's chances at a three-peat as conference champions? We're talking about it on today's Locked On Utes. You are Locked On Utes, your daily podcast on the Utah Utes. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and thank you for making Locked On Utes your first listen every single day. We are available on all platforms, including YouTube and wherever you get your podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. My name is JT Wister, so former intern inside the University of Utah Athletic Department, and today we're talking Utah's chances at a three-peat. And in order to do that, we're going to talk about the teams that they would have to beat in order to three-peat, and it's not going to be an easy task with how loaded the Pac-12 is this season. And in order to help me talk about that, it's Sean O'Connell of Pac-12 today on Sirius XM. Sean, really appreciate you joining us. And, you know, just starting off, which which team poses the biggest threat for Utah's chances at a three-peat overall? You know, it seems funny because Utah beat them twice, but when I was going through and making this list, and I'd be curious in a second to hear who you have as the biggest threat, I still made it USC. I just think when you're talking about Caleb Williams – and what a talented quarterback he is. I was listening to something with Joel Klatt earlier, and he was talking about how NFL scouts are already t- calling Williams like a farther along Patrick Mahomes in terms of where Patrick Mahomes was at in his college development before he became the Patrick Mahomes we know in the NFL. We know what Lincoln Riley is. You bring Singer over from Arizona along with Mario Williams and Rice still coming back. It's an offensive line with experience. And look, the defense has kind of been their downfall, but you added some more experienced guys. And I got to believe, too, there's some pressure on Alex Grinch this year to get the defense right because I don't know if he'll be back with the team when they make their transition over to the Big Ten if they can't. So to me, they're still the top team I look at as the biggest threat to Utah's chances at a three-peat. Would you agree with that, or would you name someone else? It's tough. I, I think it's I think it's either USC because of that just plethora of talent, all the names that you mentioned. Uh, but you did also mention the limitation for mm-hmm. USC, and, and that is defensively, Lincoln Riley chose not to move on from Alex Grinch, right, in this offseason. And, I mean, there were some people questioning whether or not you, you should even bring Alex Grinch with you from Oklahoma, mm-hmm. right? They were never elite defensively at Oklahoma, despite having some NFL talent on that defense. Um, my co-host on Pac-12 today, Jeff Schwartz, and I have talked about this many times. If you look at USC's defensive roster, just the players they have on their defense, right? You're not looking at that and saying, oh, my gosh, you can't win with these guys. Yeah. It's a bunch of four-star talents, a couple of five-star guys, right? Um, overperforming three-stars are in there. But but it's really highly recruited, great athletes. And so you don't look at it and say there's a talent problem at USC on the defensive side of the football. They went and they did some homework in the transfer portal, and they added even more talent, especially along the defensive line. So I don't really necessarily believe that Alex Grinch is the guy that they should have coordinating that defense. And I don't know Alex Grinch. I've only gotten to interview Alex Grinch once. I'm sure he's a wonderful person. But when you're at USC, you don't really get by on moral victories, right? So uh, I think that Lincoln Riley should have moved on and should have probably found someone else uh, to coordinate his defense. That is a place where you have the budget to pay your assistant coaches. I mean, a coordinator there is going to make over a million dollars a year. Like, it's a hot job. So... Mm -hmm. They could have found any assortment of 
of excellent candidates, but they decided to go uh, with what they already have. I think that's the reason or one of the reasons why USC will probably come up short again of the lofty expectations, right? Offensively, they're going to score yeah. 50 points a game, yeah. right? But when they go up against, hopefully, Utah, definitely Washington, mm-hmm. probably Oregon, like you're going to get into these shootout games like you did a few times last year, like you did twice with the Utes, where you just can't stop what Utah offensively is trying to do. You can't stop maybe one guy in particular if there's a Dalton Kincaid that emerges on mm-hmm. any of those teams I just mentioned. So I think that Washington is just as big of a threat mm-hmm. as USC. Like you're going to have to get into a track meet with USC. I don't necessarily believe that Utah's um, wanting to play a lot of games like that. Mm-hmm. Can you get by once or twice in a season doing so? Yes. But man, Washington is going to be just like that. They've got maybe the second best wide receiving core in the entire country. And they've got uh, a coach and a quarterback that are going to do everything they can to get the ball in the hands of that group. So uh, Washington's scary to me this year, and they probably will have at least as good of, if not a better defense than USC. And that is a reason why I always throw Washington's name into this conversation. You make a great point going back to USC about the Alex Grinch stuff. Just when Lincoln Riley was going to USC. There were a lot of people because this has been an issue with his Oklahoma teams for a while too. So I think there was that surprise. And then you're like, Oh, they'll give him one more year. And it seems like they're giving him another second, not even second chance. I don't even know what number of chances were on basically for Alex Grinch in this defense. So it will be interesting to see if that is their downfall once again. And if they don't win the PAC 12, it more than likely will be because as you mentioned, this offense is going to be pretty much unstoppable. And I, I love that you brought up Washington second because they were the one. And I really, there's three teams, right? That like, when you talk about the biggest threats to Utah, I feel like you can put them in almost any order and you can make a legitimate argument for. So I did have Washington second, just barely beating out Oregon, who spoiler is going to be the third team. But when you're talking about Washington, you mentioned, I mean, Michael Penix Jr. is incredible. I mean, what he did coming over last season from Indiana, especially after there's no one saw it coming. I mean, <laughs> from what we saw from him at Indiana to do that, um, you mentioned the receiving core is incredible. Kalen DeBoer, what he's done as a coach there too. Um, and defensively too. I mean, their, their defensive line is, I mean, it's incredible led by trice of course. And you know, they weren't great against the past last season, but they improved that with some transfers as well. So I, I definitely with you, I think there's a legit shot that Washington is the team that ends up knocking off Utah and with USC and Washington. These are both places that Utah has to go this season. So that makes their chances to repeat as conference champions even harder. Cause you know, some of those head to head and those tiebreakers that weirdly worked out in Utah's favor last year, if they lose those games to USC and Washington, it, it won't work out that way, Sean. Yeah. Washington found themselves in a situation that every coach uh, would love to be in where they had a bunch of guys who were draft eligible and probably would have heard their name called in the draft. They decided to forego that opportunity and return for a final year of eligibility. Right. And that's, it's becoming less and less common in college football. Maybe it will become more common because of the ability to make money while you're on campus now. Very but true. it's, uh, it's something that really, I think sets Washington up very, very well. And, and you, you said no one expected Michael Penix Jr. to do what he did. The same is true of Bo Nix at Oregon, right? Yes. I mean, there are probably people out there who didn't think Cam Rising was going to be the quarterback he ended up being for Utah. Mm-hmm. And that's that's everyone knew what Caleb Williams was, right? Yes. But there's like three or four guys in the Pac-12 conference that are all returning to start for their teams that I think overperformed and, and have outperformed expectations as starting QBs. So, uh, yeah, it's Utah's schedule, when you talk about like what's the biggest threat – 
is probably not any one team. Mm-hmm. It's probably Utah's schedule. You mentioned the fact they go on the road to USC. They go on the road to Washington. Uh, we've talked a lot on my show about the way they start their season. You know, two Power Five out-of-conference opponents. You get to host Florida this year. That's a big revenge game for Utah. That's wonderful. I don't think Baylor's going to be all that great, but you got to go on the road to yeah. Waco. You know, mm-hmm. it's like those are two really good teams, very talented and athletic teams that you're going to have to face. And and we know what it gets like for Utah sometimes into late October, into November, when you've had all of these tough games. You start to feel the attrition. You maybe get some injury bad luck and knock on wood, that won't happen this year. But that schedule is brutal. And all these other teams that are kind of uh, in that four or five team race at the top of the Pac-12 conference, they all have, I think, a better draw schedule-wise than Utah does. So that's probably going to be a factor when we get to the end of the season and you're talking about things like tiebreakers. Yeah, that's a great point, too, just on how many different teams and just the gauntlet of a schedule you saw us to go to. And look, those non-conference games you mentioned, those don't count towards winning the Pac-12 like Utah could do what they did back in 2021 and hypothetically lose two non-conference games, still win the Pac-12. But it's still not ideal anytime you're losing games. Also, injuries and different things could play a role in that. And it's just going to be a tough test. It'll be interesting to see how Utah makes it out of that. And uh, they're going to have a really tough test when they have to take on Oregon at home later this season. We're going to talk about the Ducks a little bit more in a second. But first, I want to tell you guys a little bit more about our friends at FanDuel Sportsbook. Baseball season is in full swing, and there's no better place to get it on the action than FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Because right now, new customers can get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Just go to FanDuel.com slash on today to join. You guys can bet on your favorite teams if you think they're going to continue their success or if they're not having the type of season that you'd hope for. See if they'll be able to turn it around. If you think Shonei Otani is going to be able to keep it up, all the great options are at FanDuel. So don't miss your chance to snag a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. FanDuel, an official partner of Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Sean, coming back in, I think on my contenders list, as we've been talking about, I mentioned a USC and a Washington were kind of the one and two to me, but I did say two. There's really an order of any three of these teams in any order you can put them in, I'd get behind. The third one of that is Oregon. And you already mentioned Bo Nix and just the type of season he had. I remember being high. I liked Bo Nix at Auburn still. I know there were a lot of up and down still, but I was like, he's still a good, good college quarterback. I like him, but I, I didn't definitely did not see last year happen. And uh, what would be interesting for Bo Nix is, and I, I still think Bo Nix is going to have a very good year, but I think there are some people who will look and say, hey, they're losing Kenny Dillingham. So how is that offense going to be able to do? But you bring in Will Steen over from UTSA and UTSA had a very good offense last year. You return Troy Franklin, you get Bucky Irving back and you lost a lot of offense. Offensive lineman up stunt up front, but you get a guy in a junior Angelo who's coming over, a transfer in from Texas. Get Jackson Powers Johnson, a guy who's from high school out here in Utah who played for them a little bit last year, does some strong things too. And then look, this is Dan Lanning's defense. I expect Oregon to get back. I was actually surprised to read that they only had 18 sacks in total last year in 13 games, which is their least they've had in a long time too. So I expect the pass rush to be a little bolstered with kind of the second year of Dan Lanning's guys in that program too. I mean, this is a really talented Oregon team and Utah hasn't lost a true home game since 2018. They lost to USC during COVID, but that was with the fans taken away and the Pac-12's COVID season was already really strange anyways. And they Oregon comes to Salt Lake this year, and uh, this game could go very different from when Oregon came out there in 2021. And a large reason for that is Bo Nix, too, being an upgrade over Anthony Brown. Kyle Whittingham says that uh, nothing that happened during the COVID year counts, right? Yeah. So, so you can throw out whatever records happened there mm-hmm. or didn't happen. 
Uh, yeah, look, I mean, Rice Echo Stadium has been kind of this like kryptonite for every other team. And I expect that trend to continue. I expect the attendance and the noise and the atmosphere to be what it always is. Uh, I, I don't think it's something you can truly rely upon to get you wins over what I think is going to be a top 10 team in Oregon, right? Mm-hmm. Like they are, they're yeah. incredibly talented. And you brought up some great points about what defensively they were not able to do last year. Dan Lanning got that job because he was one of the best defensive minds in all of college football, right? Yes. And I, I'm sure there was some growing pains and some distraction of taking on a head coaching role for the first time and having to be an administrator, maybe not have your fingers and your hands on that defense quite as directly. That's not going to be the case anymore now that Dan Lanning has settled into the role <clears throat> to the role of head coach at Oregon. So I think defensively they're going to be much better. And you already threw out the names of some of them the incredible offensive talents that they have, including Bo Nix, who's returning. So, look, you never bet against Utah at home, but that's going to be a really, really difficult game uh, because of all the factors that you just mentioned and because there's still this massive question mark for the University of Utah when it comes to the overall health, the the short-term and long-term health of a guy who has been the difference maker for that team. And of course, I'm I'm talking about Cam Rising. Every other team we're talking about, we're saying, man, look at the quarterback, Caleb Williams, Michael Penix, Bo Nix. I mean, Cam Rising has been more important to Utah's success, or just as important to Utah's success as any of those guys have for their team. So, if he's not full go, 100% healthy, if he's banged up and uh, you know having a hard time really getting back to to full speed. That's going to drastically affect a lot of outcomes for Utah's season. Yeah, it really will. And he's a guy that um, has been able to carry the load, and it's going to have to be – the load gets even heavier this year with this difficult of a schedule. Now, we talked about the top three contenders to upset – to uh, not upset, but just beat Utah and knock them off as Pac-12 champions because a lot of these teams, especially going in their matchup, are going to be ranked higher than Utah, and uh, they all have a great chance to not just be amongst the premier teams in the Pac-12, but in the country because of the quarterback play and the rest of the rosters they have. When you're talking about the best of the rest, for me, it starts with Oregon State, getting DJU over there, still a really strong defense and everything the Beavers have, and we just talked about Utah's uh, home field advantage. We know Oregon State, obviously incredible, and Corvallis as well. Would you agree Oregon State would kind of be the next team for you and are there any other ones you could see like kind of slipping in maybe not to be in the Pac-12 championship game I feel like when we're getting in this range that'd be lofty for these teams but definitely like upset potential for Utah to kind of throw them off of what could be another season in which they're in the Pac-12 championship game yeah look I mean Oregon State's going to be a tough out because um, if DJ Uyunglele just plays the exact same level of football as he did at Clemson he drastically improves Oregon State's offensive output I mean how different does that game against Oregon State look for Utah last year, if not for their quarterback producing all those turnovers? You know, like, even if he just takes care of the football the same way he did at Clemson, doesn't have crazy passing numbers, doesn't have crazy rushing numbers, is just like a good game management, make the right decision type quarterback, which he was last year. Mm-hmm. The expectations at Clemson are just a lot higher than that. Uh, if he, if you extrapolate his numbers and you take them from Clemson and put them on Oregon state last year, Oregon state is probably in the PAC 12 championship game. Yeah. So they're very much a threat. I think they take a minor step back defensively because of what they lost, Mm -hmm. especially in their defensive backfield. But I trust Jonathan Smith now, right? He's a great player development guy. Uh, He does a good job of finding diamonds in the rough out of the transfer portal. 
Who does that sound like? I mean, he has unabashedly said, we're trying to build things here in Corvallis the same way that Kyle Whittingham has in Salt Lake City. Because he's very aware, having played at Oregon State, that it's not the type of place that you can just, you know, roll out a red carpet like you do at USC and be like, look at the tradition we have here. Look at all the glitz, the glam, the NFL status. Like, you need to come to USC. He knows exactly what he's up against at Oregon State, and he managed it very well. And I think that, you know, he's a formidable coach, even when they don't have the obvious talent. So, absolutely, Oregon State, best of the rest. Everyone's expecting USC, excuse me, UCLA to fall off pretty drastically because you got a true freshman quarterback. Mm-hmm. But how many great true freshman quarterbacks have we seen in college football lately? Yeah. He's a five-star guy in Dante Moore. So I, I think that he's actually going to be really good and maybe surprise some people. And I might be alone in driving this hype train, but Jed Fish is a hell of a coach. Yes. Mm-hmm. And if he can get Jaden Delara to calm down, to focus in, to be more of a veteran quarterback instead of kind of like a, a sink or swim, like a mm-hmm. you know home run or strikeout type streaky kind of guy. He has all of the talent that he needs surrounding him, at least offensively. I mean, yes. a really impressive wide receiving core, even though they lost Singer in the transfer portal. The most underrated uh, running back in the Pac-12 conference last year in Michael Wiley. Like, this guy has some weapons around him. So... I, I'm a little bit scared of Arizona because that's a game that you don't circle on the calendar and say, wow, we better watch out for them. And they're getting very close to the level that you really should pay that kind of attention. That's a great point in Arizona too, especially like you just mentioned too, like sometimes you, you can be in danger of overlooking an opponent when you come off a big win. Utah will be coming off their game against Washington. If Utah were to win that in dramatic fashion, maybe they overlook them. Or even if Utah were to lose that one, we haven't seen Utah teams do this, but there's a lot of college programs that let one loss spiral a little bit as they kind of lose control of the locker room maybe for a little bit and things just take some time to click again. That's something that could definitely happen with that Arizona team. And uh, they are definitely trending in the right direction, just as Oregon State will. And look, the Pac-12 is loaded. And Sean, when and we've been talking a lot about the teams that have a chance to kind of upset you, not upset Utah. Once again, you've used an upset, but just the teams that have the chance to beat Utah, because these are legit teams. I mean, especially USC, Washington, Oregon, in most preseason rankings I've seen, they have been ranked above Utah. And I mean, when you're talking about Oregon, they beat Utah last year, Washington, Utah got to avoid Washington last year. I'm really not sure how that game would have turned out. I think it would have been a great game down to the wire. Um, we know Utah beat USC twice, but once again, like especially the first game came down to the wire. And I know I'm going to get in trouble since it's a Utah podcast for saying this, but I do think if Caleb Williams doesn't get hurt, I think that championship game could even be a little different. I think Utah still might've been able to get the win, but either way, this this, is going to be a gauntlet, but what do you think about this Utah roster overall and their chances to not just three people, but I'll even say, just get back to the PAC 12 championship game. Well, I look, it's the same question we have every year. Who's going to be the weapon in the receiving game for Utah. Right. And the answer to that question these last couple of years has kind of come from the tight end room, especially last year came from the tight end room. And I think people are hoping for that to be the case again this year with Brian Keithy. But if Utah's going to be elite, especially given the offensive firepower that exists in the Pac-12 conference, you need to see at least one of those wide receivers also emerge as a solid 1B or maybe a, a close number two, or maybe even number one over Brian Keithy. Like, it just needs to happen, and it hasn't happened at the University of Utah for far too long, right? I mean, I no, Britton Covey is one of my favorite players to ever come through the program, and I think that's true of most people. But Britton Covey is not 
a Pac-12 number one wide receiver at most schools, right? Not for lack of ability, not for lack of competitiveness, not for lack of production, just because he's five foot eight and 165 pounds, you know, like Utah's got guys in that receiver room who are six foot two plus and run four five or better and need to start playing that way. And and I think that's going to be a real difference maker for the youths this year. Always you can rely on the run game. I think that your quarterback play is going to be at the very least consistent. Even if Cam's a little bit banged up, he'll find ways to be a consistent presence, if not the difference maker that I hope he really can be. Offensive line is very, very promising. Uh, Defensively, I I expect a lot of the pass rush to come back. I think Junior Tafuna is one of the best defensive linemen in the country. Your safety room again is absolutely savage. I, I love Sione Vaki and what he was able to bring. Lander Barton is going to be one year better, and the difference in what he was able to do between week one Florida and a Pac-12 championship game showed unbelievable development, and we shouldn't be surprised by it because we know his family and we know his brothers and, and all that. Like The question mark for me is – what kind of wide receiver room do you have? What kind of pass receiving potential does this team have? And if it's only, hey, you've got a 230-pound Brant Keithy who's kind of a utility player, I just don't know if that's a positive answer for Utah. So somebody else has to emerge, and hopefully two or three somebody else's. Yeah, and they've, you know, Devon Vele's back, Money Parks kind of broke out later on in the season, but can those guys and Devon had a, a strong season, but to your point as well, like he was not a one B or a one a, I think you'd say, I mean, he like just in terms of look, everyone was trying to stop Dalton Kincaid, right? There wasn't really, it would be a big thing this year. If it was like, man, we really need to worry about a Devon Bailey. I think that's something that'd be really productive for this Utah team. They've added guys like Micah Pittman, a couple other transfer receivers too. So they're going to need some guys to step up on the outside with uh, the quarterback play and just the offenses we're going to see in the PAC 12 overall. And uh, because this is the best quarterback conference, it's going to have numerous teams ranked in the top 15, not just during the preseason rankings, but just throughout the season. Um, Sean, the problem for the Pac-12 has been it's kind of cannibalized itself over the the past few seasons, and uh, that more it feels like because there's been this year, it just feels like there's so many really good teams. That's going to be the problem versus maybe some of those other years. There's like two or three good teams, and then they just have the really poor loss or two that kind of knocks them out of it. So I, I just I feel like it's going to be really hard for Utah or any team in the Pac-12 to once again make the college football playoff this season, just because of how loaded the conference is. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I I've been saying this for three or four seasons now. You can't make a prediction that there will be a Pac-12 team in the college football playoff because they haven't proven to us. No team in this conference has proven to us that that expectation should be there every year, right? Mm -hmm. And this year especially because there are four and a half, five viable conference championship contenders. Mm -hmm. There are teams like Arizona, like UCLA, like even Arizona State, talented, but a wild card with a new head coach, right? Washington State, we haven't mentioned Washington yeah. State. Like, they're a quality team. Are they going to be a 10-win team? No, but are they going to be good enough to beat even one of those top five on any given Saturday? Absolutely they are, right? There's the Colorado wild card question because yes, I think they're going to be like a four-win team this year, but – who knows, right? I mean, Deion Sanders is an excellent coach. He really is. And he's got skill position players that any other team in the country would love to have. Does he have the offensive line to support that? Does he have the defensive line to support that? I think not yet. 
But the problem is you don't really get to pencil in any wins, even as a team as good and consistent as Utah. Mm-hmm. You got to show up. You got to be ready every single week in 2023 in a way that probably wasn't true even in 22 or 21 when you won conference championships. So it's a long way to say I, I really don't think there's any way that we have a, a team in the college football playoff this year from the Pac-12. I'm okay with it. I think it's going to be a fun season to watch. I think it's going to be great. But the uh, consistent and continuous battle of perception is not going to be fixed this year if a team doesn't make the college football playoff. And that's something – it's an, an uphill battle already for the Pac-12 conference. We'll see what the television deal looks like. But, man, it's just from a recruiting standpoint and all that stuff saying, hey, when this thing expands, when this college football playoff expands, then we're going to have a place at the table. It's really just not ideal for the conference or for any of the members of the conference. You're absolutely right, and we've seen a lot of those perception issues playing out, not just with the way the team is viewed, but now the media rights thing and all of that just uh, makes it a big jumbled mess to try and figure out. And uh, the last thing I wanted to hit on, I just, I just love the point you made about Utah's schedule and just no breaks really this year because I look at last year, Utah got really lucky with the way their schedule played out that, look, credit Bryson Barnes for stepping up and going in like after the bye when Cam had gotten a little hurt against USC, they were able to go and get that win. But then you come home and you get a Stanford team. You get an Arizona team back to back. This year you have to go to Arizona, for example. You don't get to play Stanford. It's not going to be the best more than likely this coming season. So that's where it's just going to be really hard for this Utah team. And it's going to be fun. It's going to be tough for any team to make the Pac-12 championship, or excuse me, not the Pac-12 championship, but just the college football playoff in general. But it's going to be a lot of fun because there should be a lot of great games. And, Sean, if people want more Pac-12 talk, where should they head over to? Uh, Sirius XM Channel 373, Pac-12 Today, with myself and Jeff Schwartz. We're on summer hours right now, so you got to tune in in the mornings. Um, And then after Pac-12 Media Day, which is, of course, July 21st, we'll be back in the afternoons, 4 to 7 p.m. Mountain Time, three to six Pacific for three hours of just absolute Sirius XM radio gold. Um, and, you know, Jeff is actually one of the, the best minds mm-hmm. in like tactical breakdowns and technical breakdowns of why things are working or why things are not working. He spent eight years, nine years in the NFL as an offensive lineman and not because he was the most talented guy because he's so incredibly knowledgeable and he's, he's done a great job of further educating me on football and um, he does a great job of it with our listeners. So tune in when you can, and uh, hopefully we'll be talking about not only a great Utah football season, but a great Pac-12 football season. That's definitely the goal. It'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. Sean, appreciate you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Go Utes. Go Utes. That's going to do it for today's edition of Locked on Utes, but we'll be back tomorrow with more Utah football talk. We'll see you then.